Hi, I'm Kyle, and this is uh, Chris Leonard, and this is the Signal to Noise podcast you're listening to right now. And um, hi, Chris. Welcome. Hey, how's it going, Kyle? You know, hanging out, doing a thing, doing a podcast. Doing a podcast from the road. I, I appreciate it. The past two weeks, I've kind of someone had to go solo. Sam was able to jump on jump on the end of um, uh, David Loy's, but you know it's all good. We, we, we'll make it work. I know this the summer is busy for all of us. Um, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors. Um, and interestingly enough, f- f- funny timing, and I don't want to go too derail on this, but um, Toby Francis actually I've gave a indirect. Shout, yeah, and you know he's a pretty legendary, you know, Claire engineer. He's currently out with Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, with a massive analog rig. Him and I are talking. Like, we'll have him on soon, by the way. Yeah. Um, he, he had he had a post today, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read this as my Alan and Heath uh, tip of the hat of thank you for them sponsoring the show. He said on festival shows you get to hear a lot of different mixers on a lot of different consoles. The last two shows that impressed me the most were both. Um, mixed on Alan Heath consoles. Interesting. Um, first off, that's a pretty big and bold statement from Toby. Um, secondly, uh, there's been a lot of comments of like, "Oh, it's not the, it's not the, um, it's not the the mixer. It's the it's or it's not the console. It's the mixer or whatever." And while Toby and I both agree, the, the thing is, is that yes, it is the the person, um, not the tool. However, the person often chooses which tool to use so there's something to be said for that so uh you know anyway w- without going and derailing in the whole conversation about that that's a nice shout out to alan heath so uh, thank you alan heath um i don't have as many uh cool things to say um or recent things to say about rcf but rcf is also great and wonderful we appreciate their support they make great speakers uh great products um and then uh rational acoustics uh who recently joined you know about a month or so ago thank you for them we're gonna kim is actually the one of at least the uh um, uk representatives of teaching a smart class uh for rational acoustics which is awesome so we'll kind of get to that story so anyway uh, and i guess i just introduced somewhat our guest so i i let me jump right to that as well <laughs> i've been i'm excited about this one because uh 18 years ago <laughs> believe it or not uh uh kim watson and i uh we um uh the, in the og place for roadies uh when the internet kind of started coming about social media or whatever before there was like facebook groups and all these things there was this place called roadie.net uh for the ogs who know what that place was it doesn't exist anymore um uh, shout out to carl uh who started that that's that. right um i forgot and, that yeah forgot. and um we, we we met on there and uh it was cool it was it was kind of nice to like talk to someone else who we were roughly the same age doing the same thing um kim was quite frankly the second person i knew as a female who was doing audio um the first one being the person that worked at Maryland sound um uh, Susie, outside of that, I didn't know any of the females who did audio, so that was kind of surprising at the time to me. Um, but anyway, so without all that, uh, you know, Kim, you've been you know in the industry for the last twenty three years. Welcome to the podcast. Yay. Hey, it's great to be here. Awesome to catch up with you guys. Yes, I think it's refreshing, Chris, that we have someone from across the pond again. Yay! 
I know. And I will apologize <laughs> again that here we are. Uh, so it's like midnight uh, Kim's time. So thank you. I appreciate you um, bearing with uh, the time zone difference here. Uh, that's part of the reason why it's hard to have someone from, you know, the UK or elsewhere because, you know, the time difference. <laughs> we thank all you. have jobs. Huh? <laughs> it's perfect time for a loadout. Yes. There you go. <laughs> So are you as swamped as we are in the UK? I haven't been over this summer, so I don't know how things are going, but it is insane in the States. It's been a bit of a crazy summer this year. Um, I'm actually on two weeks off. I don't know whether I should say that too loudly. Um, <laughs> I'm in the middle of fitting a kitchen at home, so I'm, I'm having the two weeks off. Uh, where exactly are you joining from us over there? Newcastle-upon-Tyne. Ah. Very north. Very north. Are you a Newcastle soccer fan? Football, sorry. I don't do football. <laughs> What's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> so, Kim, you've um, I, one of the things I wanted to jump right into, uh, short of like you know, I, there's you know, um, there are articles and Sound Girls blogs and things like that kind of talk about your history or whatever. So I don't want to like regurgitate all that necessarily because people can kind of go see some of that. We'll drop a link to your website in the description. Um, but you were one of the ones that kind of chimed up. We had a conversation with Kenny Barnwell um, and talking about um, he had kind of given a spiel about just how to get in the industry and uh, for touring people. And he had kind of done on a path that's not wrong. There's just choices on, on how to how to give conversation to this. And, and one of which was like, he was like talking about being a specialist and like being known for the thing and the one thing. And, you know, you helped bring a different perspective to the conversation um, of being I don't want to call it a generalist, uh, but being really good at a lot of different things and making a name for yourself for that way. And that's one of the things that I feel like I've observed from you from afar. Um, while you primarily have done monitors, you've done SE, you've done a bunch of things. Um, can you maybe talk about what it's like? Because um, and, and, and I, I imagine the industry is a little bit different in the UK than the US. There's a lot more maybe opportunities here. It's a much smaller network of people and shows and things over there. What has it been like for you to make a place for yourself in this industry as being really good at a bunch of different things it kind of started out where i was kind of pushed towards doing monitors at the beginning and then i've always wanted to be a system tech i always liked this the physics side of it and actually setting up systems so i kind of learned all about that lot and then also started doing the monitor side of things got into doing rf and kind of just gradually added to bits of information to each kind of bucket every time i kind of progressed and uh, gradually got better and better at everything um, but part of the industry over here is you'll get a phone call you don't even know what job you're doing on the gig hmm. and uh, you, you'll turn up and you're doing monitors and RF or you you turn up and you're doing patch or you're doing systems you don't know a lot of the time the companies don't tell you um, so you kind of drag around with Pelly with everything in it and you get what fits kind of thing um, what, what would you say I don't know. It's kind of very much. What would you say are, are, are the major differences you from hearing how things work over here and how things work over there? What, what are the major pluses and minuses of, of your job? Um, over here, it's kind of, like I say, you are forced into doing certain aspects and people kind of pigeonhole you and kind of, with me, it was monitors. It was for a long time. I was just the monitor engineer. Um, 
And then I kind of had to make a conscious effort to say, I want to do systems, I want to do this, and kind of go out there and push that point. Um, whereas in America, it all seems very separate. Everybody's very, I'm a system tech, I'm a monitor engineer, I'm a, but over here, you do have to do everything. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's always been that way, and Kyle can speak to it more. I, I think it, it's certainly, uh, as of late, I'd say the last decade, I think, is where people have become more and more on the specialist side. Yeah. Um, and I th- and I, if I had to think out loud as to why I think that is, I think one of it is is that as the industry has become more formalized and more of a legitimized, if you will, uh, people have just you know uh, the education is there, the technology is there to allow people to specialize. Um, but I still think there is a root of everyone that needs to be you need to at least know something about everything, uh, even if you are you know, Excel as a modern engineer, SE, front of house, because I don't think you can survive in this industry without having done another discipline or having to have done another discipline from time to time, at least. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I, I, I really think in retrospect, looking back on my touring career, that the UK and Europe does festivals correctly. Um, <laughs> I'll say that out loud. I really will. And um the festivals that you guys put on over there as shows and entertainment for people wouldn't fly in the United States or Canada or in North America period. I mean, just the way um, situations run, you know, and sound companies work and how things are distributed through people and staffing. And I think that plays in a lot to having different roles or multiple roles on, on a site is, Hey man, we we all got to yeah. chum together and and just hammer this out, and and it's done really well. Um, usually, the information stream is is really well in in the UK from doing you know download and a ton of the other festivals there. Uh, it's it's almost enjoyable. Like when you find out that you're coming yeah. to the UK or Europe for festival runs, nobody really complains, and. Um, I hear a lot of complaints about festival runs here because everyone's very entitled and uh, expects a lot of things, <laughs> but it, it seems like not that, not that the expectation, and this is a weird thing, not that expectations are lowered by any means. It's just expectations are already met before you get there. When, when you're doing UK and Europe festivals, a different way to look at it. Yeah. They're always kind of very, very well organized over here. Um, there's a, a drop box with all the kind of riders and everything in it. We get that the week before. We can go through it all, sort out the patch, get everything planned, um, even down to what microphones you need per band, XLRs you need per band. It's great. Do you, Very do you slick. think um, since the festivals are massive and there's tons of them, do you think that's where a lot of people from across the pond get their starts? Um, not so much these days. A lot of people kind of come into music venue, smaller music venues over here, and that's usually the start. Um, they'll come in as a member of crew, and then kind of work their way up, either doing lights or sound in the venue, um, and work their way through that way. So we, you know, we typically, you know, be be quite blunt that um, you know when we have. 
females on the podcast, we often kind of shy away, like, hey, what's it like to be a female in the industry, right? Um, uh, there's a lot of the, those conversations happening elsewhere, and we have verbally chosen to be like, we're just going to treat, you know, have the same conversations we would you know, no matter what. But I kind of want to go there tonight a little bit with you, uh, specifically just because, again, as I mentioned earlier, you were one of the first that I, you know, or second that I knew of within the industry. You've been here for 20 years. Um, and also kind of want perspective maybe from the other side of the pond, what has that been like for you? What you know progress have you seen or not seen? What what has some of that been like for you for the past twenty three years? I've been incredibly lucky um, from the very beginning. I've had very supportive mentors around me. Um, the guy that kind of looked after me to begin with, Barry, he was incredible. Um, little turbo rig. We did loads of gigs in pubs and clubs and went everywhere. Um, awesome guy, and I had his support behind me. Um, we would do gigs at the university and all the local crew, they had my back. Anybody give me trouble, they would have them pinned up against a wall. <laughs> the guys looked after me. They, I was really looked after all the way through. Um, and they're all good people. Um, and I'm seeing big progression in the industry now. I'm actually surrounded by six or seven fantastic women up here in the Northeast, uh, engineers that are starting to come through now. And it's fantastic. They, they're doing really well and it's great to see. Um, the industry's very changed. That's great. What um, what progress is still to be had? If you, if you could mention anything, what what's what does the next phase of equality or people caring or you know helping others? What, what does that look like for you? For me, it's a percentages game. So you're getting still probably about sixty percent guys to forty percent women on these sound courses at the the universities. Um, so we need to get that more of a 50-50. So there's a, an even amount of women coming through as guys. And that's when we'll start to see a more kind of even industry, I think. So um, let's talk about that for a second. So we have a TV show over here. It's called uh, Dirty Jobs. And I think that audio, or at least this job, is has been considered a dirty job for a long time. I mean, hence the name Roadie, and very closely related to the word carny. Um, <laughs> do you think um, maybe 50-50 is a stretch because there's some females that aren't built for this kind of thing? And and that's not a shot at anybody. That's like a, a truthful statement, like huffing gear and flying PA and loading trucks and smashing your fingers and smelling bad and not showering for three days isn't very appealing. I mean, I, I live with three women and um they they don't see that side of it they see that side of it from me so it, it's like asking for 50 50 or equality in in that thing it, it takes a certain person and and even if you're a male it takes a certain person to be able to deal with that kind of stress so do you think that saying 50 50 is because we have to even it out or is it because it's maybe not as appealable to um that gender or, or, or that kind of person? Not all the jobs within the industry as engineers are dirty jobs. However, <laughs> I don't know, Chris, if you saw that photo I just put on Facebook yesterday of me covered in mud from the yeah. festival. I was up to my knee. So, no, seriously, I was up to my knees in mud pulling multicores at one o'clock in the morning. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's what I'm talking about. Like, 
and let's 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 make another statement. We call them wellies. They're not fucking rubber boots, and you need them when you go to the UK. Period. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't stopped raining here for two weeks. It's been Shocking. insane. But I do, I do think that there is cleaner jobs within the industry, like working directly for a band as a mix engineer or even on stage is a lot cleaner a job than it is if you're dragging multi-cores and hanging PA. And I think that's where a lot of women would come in quite easily. Um, but it, you are right. It definitely does take, take a certain type of person to be climbing around in mud at one o'clock in the morning. Even, even uh, we see it here. And, and I like to say that we're leaps and bounds beyond what you see on TV in gender equality and stuff, because we've been dealing with, every type of gender there is since we started this job, whether you started in theater or a church or a production company or touring with an artist or touring, you know, as an independent, like we've, we've seen all this stuff before. So everything in the news is just regurgitated crap that the public hasn't had to deal with in their daily life. And um, (laughs) I, I, I really find it refreshing to have more culture, more gender, on my crew and staff. Um, but it, it, it is, it is a challenge. And I think it definitely takes a certain kind of human. And at the end of the day, you, you're, you're either that kind of certain human or you're not. Um, my, that is incredibly uh, true. (laughs) My, my question to you is, um, in, in the UK, music is still, on the forefront, like you said, people working in clubs and stuff. What do you see as far as like trends from your country that are going to come to the States or being spread around that you, you're seeing in the clubs and stuff that are going to move to the big stage eventually? Um, I'm not so sure at the moment. Kind of there's a lot of the smaller music venues are turning into more nightclubs with DJs and things like that. And there is a, a kind of reduction in kind of the younger bands coming through. But it's still there. The grassroots music is still there. Um, it's kind of sad to see one of the main venues that I work at just turned into more of a nightclub and they are starting to put bands on now. So it should help. Um, it, it's, it's just sad to see kind of not as much. As there was. We we were uh, talking about that last night on the bus here. It was like, you don't see garage rock bands anymore. And and, yeah. and I think um, bands like Turnstile are going to help kids reinvent instruments. Um, that kind of music, that kind of like uh, scene, the the style, the culture of, of a Turnstile type, type band being in the forefront will put more kids back into the garage. And I think that puts more people in, in our position too. Um, not to say that electronic music and production of electronic music isn't fabulous. Like they probably are on the forefront of video and, and lighting and crazy attendance at shows. But it, it's really refreshing to see more bands touring now and, and kind of reverting to that 90s feel where uh, there is a guitar player in the band. Oh, there is a drummer in the band. Oh, crazy. Um, but I always, I always try to like keep my pulse on it. It's hard being older because you kind of get skipped over. You're like, oh, whatever, Dad. And uh, But it, it's amazing how many festivals over there do so well and how many venues there are for, for local 
people to play and go to like the O2s. The O2s are like uh, the house of blues here. If anyone didn't know. And um, it's a great circuit to play. And it's, it's, it's kind of like you're either on the way up or the way out. And I saw in your brief website description, you worked at the Newcastle O2 for a while. Yeah. Well, all the way while it was open, uh, right the way I was there day one and I was there kind of pretty much to the last show. Um, I was sad to see it closed down, but uh, they've moved to a new venue in town now. So it's good to see it growing. But 16 years. Oh, man. So so awesome. my apprenticeship there. <laughs> <laughs> you, you made mention in one of your sound girls, um, uh, you know, blogs or you know, conversations that, um, it was a long-term goal to be in the top percent of live sound engineers. I've been thinking a lot lately about what does uh, success look like for us in this industry. Um, and so I'm curious on two fronts. One, when you had that mindset or had that goal, what what did the top 10% look like? How would you even define that? Um, and uh, what does what does or what has success looked like for you? So when I kind of started out, I was influenced by the guys that were kind of training me for the peer company. They they handed me a load of um, Live Sound International magazines, and I would kind of pour over the pages in there, and you'd, you'd read all the big name engineers and read the articles, and kind of that was very much an influence to me. And it was kind of I want to be as good as those guys. I want to be out there. I want to be doing that. And because there wasn't many women out there, it was kind of like, well, I've got to use these guys as the people that I'm looking up to. And it's that old, you're the person, you're the five people you surround yourself with. So yes. you try and surround yourself with all the people that are the best. you got to learn from the best to be the best. And that's what I tried to do. Um, so from very, from very early on, I was trying to get on those training courses, um, spent four days with Bob McCarthy, four days with Magoo, and kind of put myself in that position where I was influenced by good people. Um, and that that was a massive thing to me. So how have you defined success for you through your career? Success for me? Um, I don't know. It, it, it's that point when you walk out onto the festival stage. I, I said at the weekend, you walk out onto the festival stage and actually glance out, and that's when you realize where you you kind of got Agreed. to. Um, there was 26,000 people out, out there, and it was kind of like, wow, actually, this is quite big. <laughs> <laughs> That goes for everybody on the staff too. It, it's crazy. Uh, we're kind of on an amphitheater tour right now and everybody gets that same feeling, no matter if you're the security person that sits at the gate on all night, or you're the person that goes and helps live nation recycle our trash after the show. Like that is the feeling that we are chasing every time we, we walk out to do these gigs and it it's undescribable. Like, we can't describe this to normal other humans. Like there, there's no way to do it. It it's, it's fucking enlightening. It really is every time, every time <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when it is or where it is. It's, it's enlightening. It, it's just incredible to stand there. Cause most of the time it's just a wall. You don't actually see the audience. And then mm. just, just that moment when you stood on stage, just glance out. And that, it's that moment that that's success. Mm. Nice. From from your website as well, you've done a ton of training courses. And how viable are those to your everyday operation? 
like do you do you continue to train do you continue to update uh do you take those tools with you to every show now all the time completely um every single training course i can get my hands on i will be there um i just recently did a merlin van veen mere sound training day and uh it was awesome that's one that i pointed out if if she's done training with merlin and bob and everybody holy cow y'all holy cow (laughs) hi sam (laughs) well yeah you was welcome sam on sam i know you're in between what like sound checking doors at this point right now yeah hi i'm just you know sitting in front of house it's it's chill um (laughs) Uh, but also, yeah, if you get a chance to do those classes, highly recommend. I have also done a couple of them, and a thousand percent yes. Never once regretted it. Well, so speaking of taking classes, I know, Kim, you have been a proponent of Never Stop Learning through the years, and you've taken all these classes, but you got to do something a little bit different recently, um, and you got to teach a smart class. Um, wow. Can you talk about how that how that came how that came about and how that went? So back before COVID, I um, went along to a Smart 8 training class and um, Jamie Anderson was teaching it. And um, he and Steve were talking that they need a UK instructor kind of to take over and actually start teaching over here. And uh, for some reason, I opened my mouth and said I could do that. (laughs) And um, then COVID happened. So the world shuts down for two years and we're coming out of COVID. And I decided, well, I'm going to do a couple of training days myself. And um, I held two system measurement classes at the uh, production company, Al Rose, up here in the Northeast that I work for. And uh, did just did it in the warehouse. And there was 14 people at the first one, 16 at the second one. And it went fantastic. Um, 15 minutes after I posted the photos online, Chris had gotten in touch with me. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, Christian Zura is not me, uh, yeah. for the record. Yeah, yeah, the other Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that kind of awesome. took off after that. Um, and then I, I, I went down to do, do the Smart 9 class with Jamie, and um, and then he asked me to do the one in London at Solitech, and it went very well. It was really cool. Um, so I'm looking to do more this year. If we can fit some more in, it'll be, be pretty awesome. That's awesome. What was it um... – what did you learn about yourself in the process of having to teach those classes? The fun, funny thing was before that I'd never done any form of public speaking. So it's the scariest thing in the world to actually be stood there in front of a load of people and they're all kind of expecting from you. <laughs> so it's kind of, it, it's a steep learning curve, but kind of once I slowed down and actually kind of remembered that I do know all this stuff, it was all cool. It was all really good. Um, but I kind of had to learn how to talk to people. <laughs> and, and, and that's a great topic because um, I'm dealing with, you know, a bunch of, we deal with it all the time. You know, we get messages from a lot of young people. And I think that's well overlooked right now is people think they can get through this without having to speak. And I, I think a lot of our ability and our ability to get what we need for what we have to do our job has to deal with how we speak to other people and um it's really a public relations job before you actually start your real technical part of this thing this is this is public relations and public networking and public speaking and 
teaching these classes or being able to explain a technical element of something that's going to keep people interested for more than five minutes is a fucking art. Like, I don't care what they say. And, and if you have a great teacher that can show you that element and that social ability, or even if you have a tour manager or a production manager or a stage manager that has like great speaking skills, it makes everything so fucking easy because the technical ability, we spend a lot of time, um, thinking about, you know, how we're going to measure this, how we're going to set this up, what we're going to need to do, what the room is doing, what's going to happen when people come in. But we don't think about the people that we have to deal with to get to that point. And uh, it, it makes a ton of difference. And I love that people are putting this like to the forefront, like ability to stand in front of people and tell people something and engage them. We're almost like an artist at this point. Like that's their job is to get on stage and grab them for the amount of time that they're there and then let them go. And they'll think about it later. You know, if we don't make that impact socially and verbally or whatever, we're we're not going to make a difference. We really aren't. I know I've grown a lot since I started doing it. I've I've gained a lot of confidence that I never used to have. It's it's phenomenal what it can do for you. That's for sure. If you can teach math or physics and engage your crowd, you're doing something that most people can't like that. I, I, I really, <laughs> I really think that like, if you can make that fun or interesting or cool to listen to or prov- pr- like almost develop your personality by explaining that stuff, people are going to look up to you. And I think that some of the greats in this industry can do that very well. Um, we, we've heard that before. Like when Robert Scoville came on the show, I just wanted to listen to him. When we, like mm-hmm. when I talked to Wayne Pauley, when I talked to all these people that I've always looked up to in, in my career, it's like, I love listening to them speak because it makes it easier for me to learn and like engage with them. Especially with something as hard as smart. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of, speaking of mentors, Kim, you, you've mentioned you've had a few that have helped you along the way. Who are some of them, and what are some of the biggest things that they Im- imparted onto you? Well, I mentioned Barry earlier on. He's probably been the biggest influence of my career. Um, we had a few moments when we were working together, and one of them was a um, a Bangra orchestra. Um, absolutely incredible they just turned up and he just looked at me panic on his face and just said put any mic on anything I'll find it as we go (laughs) and it's kind of a mantra I've kind of lived my life by and it's the same at any festival situation it's just like chuck anything in any channel I'll find the LEDs and we'll make it happen um and that was probably the biggest influence I've had from any mentor out there um speaking of which it's his birthday so happy birthday happy birthday oh wow happy birthday (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when you look forward um you mentioned oh, it sorry uh, chris go ahead go ahead, go ahead go oh sorry. i was just gonna say go when ahead. you when you look forward from here you you have a lot of really cool stuff on your resume for sure and and i'm sure that's only a a, a bite of what has actually happened where do you see yourself going or gravitating next when when you start the next chapter I just kind of want to move into more of the systems kind of thing, um, actual system design on big tours and head that way. Um, and then obviously teaching on the side, bringing the next generation through. Um, 
I'm not doing many local venue gigs anymore. I've kind of decided I'm going to try and do tour at the beginning of the year, festivals in the middle, tour at the end of the year, and kind of use that as the the way forward for the next few years. And that gives me time to be at home as well in between, uh, which is really important. Well, we'll talk about that. So you, you, you spent some time in the industry. You've had to find that balance of not working uh, and your off time. I know you like to snowboard, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> what, um, what, what does, how have you been able to navigate that, um, you know, resting or being off or that balance of, of, of not working? So you mentioned the snowboarding. So a few years back, I actually snapped my knee. So destroyed the ACL, destroyed the cartilage, and I couldn't. I was on crutches, couldn't walk. And the realization that I'm self-employed. You, you're injured. You're self-employed. Where's the money coming from? Um, and I, w- I was working gigs. I was on crutches, but I was still running cables on stage, flying PA. It was hard. It was very hard. Um, I took twelve weeks off, and kind of in that downtime, it was it was soul destroying, not being able to work, um, but got back on my feet and then you fall into the habit of saying yes to everything because you've been off for so long Mm. Uh, and I I lost that work-life balance for a bit and then I I kind of give it a couple of years got it back on track and had breaks in between and then COVID happened and last year I said yes to everything and from February to December I didn't have a weekend off and that was a big mistake. So that's where the change this year comes in of not doing the venue shows. I want to split it up nicely. And that, that means I get the downtime and I get to spend time at home with the family. Um, Chris, that's a pattern. I've heard that before. That yeah. was me. Well, it's funny. I was I was gonna say hold on so I was gonna say and I'm glad I didn't interrupt you I was like oh well did you learn from <laughs> did, my first my first inclination was like oh well co- when COVID happened you were meant you should have been mentally pre- should have <laughs> been mentally prepared for oh this is gonna be a pause I got to reset this but obviously it wasn't and I'm sure many others I mean that's the thing so I but I, it's if nothing else, all that we can control is the present, not the past, right? And so the fact that you have that plan for what the next year or two looks like and how to methodically go about that, that's um, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I well, was incredibly lucky during COVID, though, because I was one of the very few engineers that was actually working. Mm. We did socially distanced gigs outdoors where they had people in a, a pen and there were mm-hmm. six people in each pen. And it was incredible to be actually do those, but... We we went back into lockdown and lost the last few shows, but it it worked. Nobody got COVID. It was good. <laughs> I'm I'm curious on a very like semantic level when you talk about this plan that you've had um, or, or, or or planning in terms of how to move forward. Um, do you actually like document it? Do you write it down? Is this headspace? Do you talk to other people? Like how do you actually you know formulate that and and, and hold, kind of hold yourself to it? It's mainly chatting to other people around me. Um, seeing what they're doing and kind of stealing ideas from them about how they're getting their time off and spreading the the workload out. Um, you've got to take downtime. There's no ifs or buts about it. I'm on two weeks off right now. I'm taking those two weeks off. Um, it's needed, 100%. Kyle, you were going to mention the whole pattern thing there. Yeah, uh, it's it's just a really great pattern. I think people learn from the hard times, you know, Hard times create hard decisions. Hard decisions create soft times. Soft times 
create soft decisions and then something will happen drastically and you just have to adjust. But it, it is a pattern. And I did the same thing. I worked my ass off when COVID released and I figured out what it did to my body and my family and my mental health. And it, none of those things were good decisions. And it took me a year to figure that out because I would just go and go and going. Yeah. And, uh, it's awesome that, I mean, this is, this isn't, loose connection, but it's awesome that our, our, our body and our mind let us know a pattern that we have to take to make things right again. Mm. And, um, it's, it's crazy to hear because it makes you feel like part of this group again. And, and, and that's something I want to talk about again, is we started off with this roadie net thing and, uh, you know, social interaction in this community is everything. It really is. And, um, you know, props to RodyNet, props to BobNet, props to Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and LinkedIn and every other social media is, is really connected us more and more. Discord. Yeah. And, and our, our signal to noise discord in our community that we built here, it's like we, we can find respite in someone telling a story that is similar to our own and, um, hard decisions and, my first thing that I thought about when you told the story about your ACL and then going into COVID and then working your ass off, what, and cause this is what I thought about. Maybe it was the same. Maybe it wasn't is what's my fucking out. What am I going to do when I can't do this anymore? Because you always go to the most drastic thing. I mean, your, your head just does that at some point It's a obtrusive thought takes over and you're like, Oh, what am I going to do? And and that's why I always ask what you're going to use all the training for and, and, and how you're going to progress because everyone's fighting for number one. Like you said, you always looked at the top 10 and you were always like, I'm fighting for this top 10. I'm fighting to get into here. I want to learn from those people. I want to progress as well. And we've talked about this on the podcast too. There's sometimes when you just say, no, fucking mediocre is just fine because I can live there. I can live in that spot and I'm not coasting. I'm still learning. I'm still enjoying myself. I'm still walking out and seeing 20,000 people and fucking having audio boner or whatever you want to call it. Like, I know don't cancel me, but it's, it's, it's truly a thing. It really is. And us being together has made it a lot more culpable because if you take this to a normal psychologist that works with normal nine to five people all the time. They don't know how to explain this. They don't know how to diagnose it. But I think in a community like this, we can diagnose a lot of things really fast because we're used to doing it. We're used to being like, Oh shit, what's that noise? Oh shit. Why isn't this light on? Oh shit. Let's go. And, and now there's this community that can actually like tell the same story almost, you know, it's like, Oh cool. And, and I love Chris that it's like, Hey, do you write it down or do you do a mental journey or do you do a path? Like, um, it's conversations like these that kind of draw that, that point out of us. Sorry to get all psychological, but I mean, I, it's worth, it's worth speaking about. It really is. It really is. 100%. I find a lot of the time as well, I'll bottle it up and bottle <laughs> it up and bottle it up to the point where I get so sick 
I just think, right, that's it. I'm gone and I'll move on and I'll move on to a different company or whatever, because it's just not working. Uh, if you're not enjoying the job, it's not worth Correct. doing. So I've been saying this a lot lately, and this is for our listeners and everybody right now. I figured it out. There's a point in our life that we need to quit being fucking tough. Quit being, quit trying to be hard. Quit trying to be tough, trying to be like, I can do this. I can, I can do it. Or being the person that's like kind of standoffish when you approach them. You, there's a point in this career where you need to quit being fucking tough and just start smiling and like looking, looking for answers. Like if you're being tough, you're shutting all that other shit out and you are bottling it up. Like quit being fucking tough. It's okay to be soft about this shit. It really is like, and it, it helps me learn every day because I think, oh man, I'm 51 and everybody on the bus is under 30 or whatever. <laughs> Being soft at that point, I'm learning more for the, from those younger people than if I was just being, oh, I've been doing this for 33 years. <laughs> like it doesn't matter. We still do the same thing. No matter if we've been doing this two years or 40 years, the response is the same. Quit being tough. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> that was, was like a mic drop there, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> I, I was just I was waiting to see if Kyle was gonna keep going. It's all good. I was just giving you space, dude. It's all no, good. I, I just think I love hearing your story like this because that's my story too. It's cool. And it just makes me feel like every time we do these things, we connect with another human and nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. Well, and, and speaking, you know, you, you talked about community. Um, I mean, it makes sense for us to plug, you know, uh, our two communities, you know, here we have our Facebook group, of course, um, but our discord, one of the cool things about um, discord um, and, you know, kind of cool having Kim here is that like, you know, yes, we do have more than just, you know, North American people within our industry who are in a Discord server. There is enough within UK and or Europe that I kind of actually, if you haven't already been in there, I actually sectioned it off or added some extra channels for um, uh, UK and Europe meetups and job posts. Like, so we have job postings, you know, uh, but, I, you know, I was like, hey, there's enough actually like UK and Europe job postings or meetups or, you know, conversations. And it's been really fun to kind of see uh, some of that community develop, you know, right alongside. And we can, you know, it's not like, oh, it's those people over there, but it's just kind of cool to see the community grow internationally and be of another resource. It's, it's a lot of fun. So, Kim, I don't know, but I mean, I, you, you've, you've interacted or, um, seen some stuff in there. What, what, what are your thoughts there? I'm in there. I'm, I, I tend to lurk a bit more than I do uh, post, but I do post occasionally. Everybody says that. Everybody says that. I'm a lurker. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it's good to see people growing as well. There's a few people on there that I know personally and I've worked with, and uh, it's great to see those guys on there learning from each other and helping each other. And it, It's great for the community in general. Um, and it's new connections. It's networking. It's It's fantastic. That's awesome. Um, uh, you had you, you've had a bunch of articles, you know, because you've been around for a minute, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> just a little while. Yeah, and uh, Kyle, where's all your articles? I'm just kidding. I don't write. <laughs> I just make phone calls and talk to people. That's episode <laughs> nine. I think it started. Um, no, uh, I, I like you had a um, you had a, a article around. Um, 
uh it's funny i love the difference of like uk and north american terms uh, yes it, it, it took me off guard for a second um so the title title was the lost art of fault finding uh we would call that troubleshooting uh <laughs> Um, um, but talk about that. I, I, I'm curious. Um, you know, you know, again, like Casa, working festivals, working local clubs. Um, what what have you experienced? You you've now you know in the you know middle or later part of your career, and you're kind of seeing the up and coming of of new people people in the industry. Do you see people with a? You kind of mentioned like. I mean, a lot of people can walk up to a console mix, but the second that, you know, something doesn't work or isn't working right, like what's some of your observations been, you know, through through some of that? So the road in the industry has very much changed over here. So a lot of people are going to college and doing degrees now. And it's, they're learning the, the actual, how to plug a PA system together, how to uh, mix, the de- mix on the desk and kind of set it up, but they don't actually learn how to fault find. And a lot of them are kind of, something goes wrong they just panic (laughs) and it's one of those things I learned fault finding from everybody that I was working around the older engineers um when I was learning they were the problem with the line chuck a mic on it you know how it goes and start in the middle work your way back find out whether is, is it half a problem is it this half of the problem um and it's just different techniques and they're not being exposed to those same techniques that we were exposed to when we were learning. Um, and that's kind of what I want to help with the next generation a lot of is to, mm. to give them some of that. Um, I think, I think it's a, um, it's a critical thinking thing. And I think this is, it's a, it's a generational thing. I'm experiencing this uh, on a more personal level with my 15 uh, year old daughter. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just, um, I, peop, uh, I don't know what it is of, I feel like, um, and man, we're, we're really going on loose connection topics here tonight. But um, I, the, the idea of like when I was, when I was raised, not, not necessarily within the industry, but just in general, like, I don't think I was taught to think critically, you know, it was just like, Hey, do this, do this, do this, do this, and things happen, right? As opposed to, oh, well, if X, Y, Z happens, well, why would it have happened, and what could, how it could, have, how it could have been different? Anyway, so I think that I think that's the gap there somewhere that is not being. Yes, it's flashy to walk up to console and and make the best mix and the set and the other. Um, but yeah, the 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 whole the whole element of it is definitely a, a lost a lost art, and I think some of that is probably due to the nature of digital things, right? Like you don't you know, you don't plug many things in anymore. <laughs> you don't have to patch things. Like it's just, it's just there. Right. Just, just um, think, think whereas, about cabling, Chris, you work in a, you work in a shop. Yeah. Think how much better cabling is now than when we were really fault finding. And I like, I, I, like I'm going to start. We using, used to legitimately check yep. every XLR after every show. That'd be ludicrous. That'd be ludicrous yep. to do now, right? Like, I, 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 I'm going to start calling it fault fighting because I like to blame people for shit. So faults, fault <laughs> means I found wh- who to blame or what to blame. Troubleshooting <laughs> is just like, eh, you know, you're just kind of ah, could be the air. <laughs> like fault fighting is like, <laughs> yo, no, this is a problem. <laughs> Blaming you for it. <laughs> We, d- we don't have problems. We just have other things we need to Exactly. <laughs> what, okay, so when, when North American bands come into your territory, what do you hear them say or do that just really ticks you off? 
<laughs> hey, don't laugh at me. <laughs> I'm being for real. It, it's mostly the do this and do it now kind of attitude. It's like there is a please and thank you. You'll get everything you want if you just say please and thank Correct. you. <laughs> and there, that goes back to the social skills. It really does. Like you, don't be yeah, an you track, track more bees with honey, don't you? You know. Um, Kim, what is something that you know now that you wish you knew when you first started? So I suffered with imposter syndrome for a very long time. And you spend yourself, you spend your time actually comparing yourself to everybody around you. And it's not until now, 23 years in the industry that I realize that everybody's on a different path. You start out at college, you're in the same groups, you go to university, you're in the same groups, and then you go out in the real world and everybody goes off in a different direction. And some people go fast, some people go slow. It just could take time. Just stay in your lane, live your life, live your route. And that's, I think that's probably the biggest thing that's helped with my imposter syndrome over the, the last few years. Um, everybody's path's different. When did you, was there a moment or something that helped you figure that out? So I've got a very good friend called Beth, who's she's a she's in the banking industry. She's a, a head of people, and she kind of recommended that I go off and see an actual therapist. And she said it'll really help your career long term. And um, it was probably the best thing I've ever done. Um, and there was blockages, and you kind of work through those blockages, and it helps a lot. And it was kind of that putting me on the right path to see that everybody's life's different. And it was the best thing I've ever done. That's awesome. So that's the equivalent of our HR director of people, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. yeah she's head <laughs> of people. Well, it is HR, but head, head of people. Nice. Yeah. No therapy. Ther- um, uh, the need for therapy is a, um, um, it, it's funny that we still in this day and age have to like still somewhat break down a taboo of like, it's not a crutch. It's not, um, uh, like it's, it, it's just, it needs to be just as much as you need water every day you know you need food every day oh and you also need therapy like that's what there's kind of all should kind of be in that like pyramid of like what life is right i mean um it's it's yeah it's not like uh yeah i i I always it 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 just helps i always (laughs) refer to the pies message and the pies method is uh physical intellectual emotional and spiritual and not that all those need to be the same they just have to be balanced. You know, you don't have to be the strongest person in the world, but your intellect needs to be up there, you know, emotional and spiritual. Like you got to take care of those three things. And especially like when you're talking about after COVID, we all jumped right back into this thing. You know, that's when we saw an uptick in a lot of bad things in our community, uh, whether it be, you know, news, new people working, people's attitudes, people getting anxiety because uh, they were doing too much, overworked, underpaid, you know. So um, putting, yeah, putting your friend Beth at the forefront for that is kudos to her. Kudos to Barry for being her, his birthday and teaching you to actually troubleshoot <laughs> fault finding. Sorry. He's a legend. What do you... Um... What's what's something you haven't achieved yet 
um, that's like a bucket list thing for you to achieve or do? I want a U.S. tour. I want to get Let's out go. there. I've never been Let's to the U.S. Go. on tour. Let's go. All right, everyone listening, <laughs> hold on. Everyone in North America, listen to that. Uh, bring Kim to the States for your tour. Uh, you've already heard she could do monitors. She can SC. She can patch <laughs> yeah. a stage. She can find all your faults. Um, yeah, it, it's good. Bring bring Kim to the U.S. on tour. So uh, let's, uh, let's, let's make that happen. <laughs> That's definitely the book list. Awesome. That'd be that'd be, that'd be fun. Yeah. Um that's cool. Oh. All right, Cal. You got anything before I hit my last uh my last question here? I love British food. I do. It's okay. Oh, there you go. Um I've never been to I oh, ate. You said you love it and then you said it's okay. That sounded like a backhand <laughs> that was a backhanded compliment right there. It is. Oh so well, speaking of British food. They fuck up ketchup they fuck up <laughs> ketchup really bad. And um, <laughs> Coke, Coke, you guys don't do too well. Um, what else? Kyle, this isn't working out for you. No, right but this is, this is... <laughs> he's definitely getting no, canceled. I've, I've never been to Newcastle. That's probably one of the only places. No, I wouldn't say only places, but it's when I was a kid, I loved the Newcastle football team. That's why I asked that in the very beginning because I liked their logo. I thought it was tough <laughs> as shit. Like I thought it was just tough. Nice. And all my other friends are like Liverpool and Arsenal and blah blah blah, whatever. I, I've yet changed, but so say we're coming to hang out um, in Newcastle. What? I'm not even going to talk about food. What's the thing to do in Newcastle that makes you stick around there? Um. If we we got to do the food thing because everybody does a curry in yes, Newcastle. I do a curry in Newcastle for sure. <laughs> There's a little place just around the corner from uh, what was Newcastle Academy, it's the the NX venue now, and um, the great little curry house, really good food. How far do you have to travel to go snowboarding? About two hours. There's an indoor ski slope. Dope. Is there it's anything? Dope. Is there anything outdoor at all? Yeah, there is up in Scotland. So I've actually snowboarded in England in May. Oh, wow. (laughs) What? Yeah. Oh, indoor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no, outdoor. On a real, on a a hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel. It's so cool. (laughs) I feel like I was supposed to live over there. Oh, I think my ancestors from over there. So that's probably why I feel like that. (laughs) Um. I, you, actually, I remember when I was first exposed to um, uh, breakfast over there and having the beans, and that was like a thing dude. that I didn't know like was a thing at breakfast. Beans on right? toast, bro, um, <laughs> dude. I, but I loved it, right? And then, like, I you know, I remember coming back on tour here, and and we were like carrying carrying a caterer caterer for one of the tours, and they were asking if we had suggestions of like what to do and things like. It's like, yeah, you know, it's like, hey, it'd be, be kind of cool to have like an English breakfast, and they're like, well, what does that mean? It's like, well, you know, like have like some beans, and you know, and they're like, like like baked beans and yeah <laughs> it's like yeah sure and like sh- sure enough like the next morning we had beans at breakfast and i was like oh, this is awesome <laughs> so yeah, I, I like beans at breakfast it's cool that that's right? awesome yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right kim if you could define your legacy or how you would want to be known how would you define that um i'd want to be remembered as the engineer that helped the most young ones get into the industry Yes. Yes. Like Help that. the next generation. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Let's bring them through. It's not about us anymore. It's about them. Remember that. Every time you go on a gig, it's yep. not about us anymore. It's about them. 
Yeah, and I think the earlier that you can realize that in your career, the better you will and everyone else will be. It's all about sharing information. Don't be an information hog. Teach the teach everybody around you, and then everybody will work better. Yes, 100%. Awesome. Well, Kim, thank you for staying up late. Thank you for hanging out with us. I appreciate it. and um, Thoroughly enjoyed. We will uh, we will help find you that North American tour. How, let's, how go. Let's, uh, let's, let's go. Let's go. Let's, let's just manifest it. Let's go. Yes. Well, I think we have enough <laughs> connections. Let's make this happen. So Thank Dang. you so much. <laughs> Absolute pleasure. Great to meet you, Kyle. And lovely to speak to you again, Chris. Yes, likewise. It's been too long. 